Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Monday, April 10th, 2023. Happy belated Easter to all those who celebrated this past weekend, this past yesterday at time of recording. Uh, Welcome to Rexon. Season 2 is getting better and better, and it hasn't even finished filming in real life. The Colorado Rapids got their first win of 2023, turning the blue hell into the burgundy and blue hell. And Mallory Swanson might very well be out of the Women's World Cup this summer. Joining me now to talk about that time, Andre Shinyashiki won Rookie of the Year, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Oh, yeah. I I love it when Matt gives me the intro and I get the joke like two seconds after he says it. And I'm like, why are we right? Right. Um, Good to see you, Matt. I've got myself a shot and a chaser here. I'm drinking the thing that I drink during Passover every year just so that I can regret it. Put the bottle away and do it again all next year, which is a bottle of the worst, crappiest plum brandy you ever had. The stuff is called Slivovitz. Uh, traditional, old-school, herring-eating Jews like this stuff. I think it's awful, but I bought a bottle 20 years ago, and I am committed to finishing it by the time I die. So uh, here's to yours, Matt. Bottoms up. Oh, that is some bad clear alcohol. <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure. Mark, we've we've both passively sipped alcohol in the past. I'm not sure it's been a while. Maybe the Kellen Acosta signing day podcast that we did where we had drinks in your basement and I was munching on brownies that your wife had made something. I can't remember the last time we had someone they live were regular take a, brownies. They were not pot brownies. Yes, regular brownies just to be clear to your listeners. But uh Mark, I I think it's been a while or it may be an HTHL first to have one of us do a shot on the podcast. But in any Whoa. case you Me and me and when Matt Doyle came on, I had I had a shot poured and he he, he looked at me and he goes are we doing brown liquor special? I'm like, Matt, I'm I'm pretty much always drinking something when we're doing a podcast. So um, it's just that you can't. I mean, I really we're day seven of Passover starting tomorrow or day six right now. And, uh, you know, I am into the phase of of uh, of uh, Passover where I watch other people drink beer on TV. And I'm like, I want a beer. Beer is so good. Like wine is not a substitute for beer in any way, shape or form for me. So, you know, I am I am absolutely watching other people. You know, there's like the there's a mild controversy right now with Bud Light where, you know, the, some dude online was like throwing a Bud Light in the air and shooting it. And I'm like, why would you waste perfectly good beer, which I cannot drink? So, yeah, I, it's always a toss up for me during Passover, whether I am jonesing more at the end of the holiday for beer or for pizza. And right now it's beer, although yesterday it was pizza. Yesterday it was pizza in a big way. So only a few more days. Uh, uh, Thursday night, we'll be ordering up all the pizza. The bad news is I live in Pittsburgh and there is no good pizza in the entire city of Pittsburgh. The best pizza that me and Iggy have had in the last three years was in Erie. And sometimes I think maybe I should drive up to Erie for a slice. That's how bad the pizza in Pittsburgh is. Anyhow, on with the podcast. Uh, Mark, to answer your question after a quick Google search as to what's happening with Bud Light, apparently it's surrounding some controversy involving a trans activist and influencer. So the Internet alive and well and in no way toxic or controversial here on April 10th, 2023. The Internet invented in 1997, if only to make you stupider. Uh, yeah, so in any case, Mark, um, not 
rapids related directly folks uh mark you and i i would say are casual observers of women's soccer certainly the women's national team we watch most if not all of their games nwsl for me less so i'm not going to speak for you rabbi would say an nwsl team in colorado or denver would make me a little bit more interested in the league from a fandom and a media standpoint but uh mark this past weekend or this past week um the united states women's national team played ireland in a friendly as part of a tune-up for their women's world cup this coming summer which will be down under in australia and new zealand and mallory swanson sustained an injury late in the first half not the first late first half injury of the season that we'll be discussing folks uh tonight on the pod but uh she was carted off and we've since found out that she has a torn patella tendon a quick google search mark suggests a recovery typically takes about six months i'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence that says that uh even elite athletes cat has previously done this in three months uh the united states women's national team will kick off in auckland uh, New Zealand on the 22nd of July this summer. So that's one, two, three months and 12 days away, Mark. Uh, Mark, I think it is a fairly reasonable conclusion to say that the United States will be without Mallory Swanson, who's been a fantastic talisman uh, for this team. Um, and I think it uh, it bears questioning what this means for um, uh, for the women as they head to the World Cup. Rabbi, your thoughts? I mean, the women will be fine because the depth of the U.S. women's national team is off the chain. I mean, uh, Lynn Williams was like barely getting time in the last um, cycle and is like one of the best players in, in the U.S. team. The challenge, of course, is that the level of all the other teams in the world, specifically Germany and England, have come up a great deal. So the U.S. is going to need all their best players in order to win things again. Um, and Mallory Pugh Swanson, 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 Pugh, Pugh is uh, just fantastic. And uh, we wish her well. We wish her get to get healthy. Um, I got to interview her and Lindsay Horan many, many years ago um, when they were playing a game against Japan in uh, in uh, at DSG, GSGP in, in Commerce City. Um, and I found them both incredibly delightful. Uh, and, you know, so hopefully we wish Mal gets better gets better soon and uh gets back onto the pitch and you know matt and i you know we really did have to google a little bit around a a patellar tendon tear because i don't remember ever really seeing one in any sport um it's just a it's a very large meaty tendon that typically does not get torn by comparison to um cruciate ligament injuries which it's a it's a slighter smaller um ligament so you know my wife the physical therapist i'll go and ask her about it later and she'll remind me that she is not an orthopedic physical therapist it should be point out mark that a few other players are on the mend as well um so sophia smith is back with the team and she was obviously fantastic in the nwsl with the portland thorns if i remember that off the top of my head and then also there's been some buzz about julie Ertz, who for me mark is maybe certainly a you know is a veteran presence um i think in terms of where she's at with her age and her level she's maybe been usurped by a couple of the other midfielders you have with the women's national team but both of them are potentially making their return as well and Mallory Pugh Mallory Swanson excuse me was getting a lot of minutes up top and opportunities to score goals directly rather than as uh, necessarily a winger in part because of Sophia Smith's injury so I remember they had that um, double header when they went down to New Zealand and I think they played a double header with New Zealand and uh, Mal Swanson scored a few goals in there in part because she was in that position because Vlako Andonofsky wanted to let Sophia Smith continue her rehab as well. So to your point, Rabbi, uh, it's disappointing, certainly, because Swanson has been fantastic for the women's national team. She has been fantastic for uh, in the NWSL as well uh, for the Chicago Red Stars, uh, now that I remember the team that she plays for. And she uh, is obviously going to miss this tournament, but uh, one Colorado native exits, one Windsor Colorado native potentially back in with the team as well. Um, I do think this does hurt the women's national team, Mark, because Mallory Swanson's a fantastic player. But to your point, there are other options as well. And uh, I, I still think they're competitive in this tournament. I question, Rabbi, or I'm curious about, I think we phased out enough of the old guard that was part of what made that last team in the 2019 Women's World Cup great. I, I think you could argue Rose Lavelle became a star 
in that competition. But I think you could argue pretty much every single other player that has been involved in so far that's going to be a major part of the team in Australia and in New Zealand is outside of that purview. You know, Alex Morgan's still hanging around. She's obviously going to be a presence in the locker room. But, you know, your your Becky Sauerbruns, your Heather O'Reilly's, your Abby Wombachs, etc. Like that generation has retired. And so I kind of wonder if maybe the U.S. is showing up and to everyone else in the competition, they're showing up with their reputation of back-to-back Women's World Cup champions, but then maybe the team that's actually showing up is a team that Vlokwandinovsky was brought in specifically to phase out the old guard and bring in a new generation that is energetic and extremely talented and extremely good at what they do, but also has not done it in the World Cup or hasn't done it where, the, you know, as opposed to the I'm him mark, the I'm her reference, like the I'm her was Megan Rapino this past World Cup. The I'm her in the 2015 Women's World Cup would have been um, Abby Wambach. I don't know that there's an I'm her and I've been her in this competition in this group right now. So that kind of has me a little bit worried and the women's game, they continue to elevate it elsewhere and other teams are catching up to the United States women's national team. Um, And eventually they're not going to win the World Cup and that's going to be a mighty fall. And I just hope that it's not uh, this coming summer because there's a lot of great Coloradans and I think they've got a great coaching staff and they've got a great team and everything, but they don't have that same, I've been here before we've done it necessarily as a group. And I kind of wonder if, you know, lacking in that is going going to hurt the team uh, potentially my wife would like to add when a structure connects one bone to another it is actually a ligament so the patellar tendon is sometimes called the patellar ligament the patella is attached to the quadriceps muscle by the quadriceps tendon i believe she was attempting to correct me on whether it should properly be referred to as a ligament or a tendon and i would like to just i have immediately replied to her by noting that she has no idea what position Mallory Swanson plays, nor what team she plays on, and she should leave me alone. But, you know, this is wedded bliss. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Mark, anything else we want to say, or shall we get on to the Colorado Rapids' first win of the season? We should really talk about that, because it's exciting! Listeners, this past Saturday in Blue Hell, the Colorado Rapids won by a score of 1-0. to nil. It was an unchanged lineup from Robin Frazier from the team that got a nil-nil draw against LAFC. William Yarbrough again in goal and wearing the captain's armband. A back three of Wilson, Makshu, and Lalas Bubakar. In the midfield, in the center, you would have had Kellen Acosta... Excuse me, Brian Acosta and <laughs> and Connor. I wish Kellen Acosta was starting for the Rapids right now uh, at our wing backs, but effectively in a midfield uh, position as in terms of they're in the four as part of the three four two one. Uh, we're Sam Nicholson on the left and Keegan Rosenberry on the right, and then up top in the two and one or the front three, roughly you had Max on the left, Diego Rubio on the right, and J. Lou Jonathan Lewis playing as the false nine. Mark, not a whole lot to say for me in the first half from a run of play chance creation standpoint uh the first half very much mirrored the reverse fixture uh, a couple months ago in the home opener for the colorado rapids some decent play from both teams box to box not a whole lot in the final third in the way of execution and maybe the best opportunities for teams coming on set pieces you know you had a couple minutes in diego rubio with that maybe header that kind of caught him by surprise mark that if he wasn't unaware as if he you know had prepped up and knew it was coming at him he could have done a little bit more with that uh, maybe the best chance coming in the 32nd minute um, from the corner in which Rosario goes Zava or Zlatan level air to get a header on that. And William Yarbrough makes a great save at the near post. And then Hernandez had a nice opportunity off of a volley in stoppage time from Alan Polito. Polito marked kind of ironically, or I think fittingly, decent hold-up play, but almost further away from goal with Lal Sububakar or someone else kind of chasing him down, and then that leaving space for other players to run in behind. Eric Tommy had a nice sequence with that in transition. Um, Danny Wilson Mark continues to be active defensively and trying to mark guys that are in position and doing so draws himself out of position creating gaps for opportunities fortunately for the Rapids none of those SKC players were able to finish and Polito was otherwise held in check mark with the exception of in the 49th minute where he was denied uh, on a great setup and another great save from William Yarbrough Zussi had a corner opportunity that he puts wide of the post mark you know Eric Tommy had that volley in the 84th minute Rapids didn't do a whole lot attacking wise 
surprise, Mark, but they didn't really need to because in the 68th minute, Diego Rubio chases down Remy Walter right on the touchline, right up against uh, both coaching boxes and everything, wins the ball, maybe a little bit of a shove in the back. Was it a foul? No. Could Diego Rubio had gotten a yellow card uh, for a stomp on Polito a little bit later? Maybe. But in any case, he gets away with it and he goes in transition. Only one uh, defender properly back for morning Kansas City with Michael Barrios going at him. A few trailers, including Sanzusi, and Barrios makes a great run to try and get set up, realizes he's offside, drags the defender with him. Tim Milia's caught uh, off guard as well in terms of being flat-footed, and that opens up like the perfect lane mark. Dare I say the 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 waters receding mark as Moses, as Rapids Moses, Diego Rubio finds just the slightest opening to slip that ball through, and then ultimately find the goal. And the Rapids get out of dodge mark, totally buckled in, down to center back. We'll talk about Mac Mac Shu in a minute, and they get their first win. And I don't care that it was ugly mark. I don't care that it was one nil. I don't care that SKC had all these stats another thing the Rapids just needed a win by hooker by crook and it was definitely hold on to your butts parting the seas Diego Rubio getting the win um Mark where do you want to start let's start good things uh good thing um well I think the play in which the Rapids scored was really one of the things that I have been complaining about up till now it was a play scored in transition it was played a ball that was played, you know, kind of long diagonal over the top. Um, Diego Rubio just beasted his man, you know, dribbled in and then finished near post on a one of those really cool. By the way, Diego Rubio has that kind of shot where he kind of opens his hips, looks far post, and then he slams a ball with kind of a sidestep smack and he just picks it out where he, it, it's it like slots in on like a frozen rope low and straight and hard into the inside post of the goal. It's just an amazing skill he has. If you look back over the goals he scored for the Rapids over the last couple of years, that's like a specific kind of goal and it that he likes to score. And I I don't know a lot I don't know a lot of players who who shoot and score like that. It's just a very particular Diego Rubio shooting and scoring style that I really like to see. Um, I would love to talk to a coach about like what that is and how you teach for that. You know, like what 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 is what is it exactly about the way you play that uh, ball and and how you strike it and why you choose to hit the ball that way instead of you know putting it on the toe and and or putting it on the laces and banging it top corner top shelf or whatever. It's just a beautiful goal and a, and a really wonderful chance. And I think also. Um, what that goal spoke to is the value of finishing. You know, both of these teams, the Rapids didn't have a whole lot of chances. Um, Sporting Kansas City actually had more chances than the better of the chances. I believe they had 18 shots on goal, 10 of which were blocked, um, meaning they had eight, you know, actual shots that, you know, traveled towards the net. Um, And they just didn't finish well. And what that means is the Rapids just had what they've needed from the beginning of the season, which was a quality finisher. I think the one, you know, I wouldn't say downside, but it's just something to, to note that like with Diego Rubio stepping in and stepping up in this game and doing what he does so well, it begs the question as to whether Darren Yaffe is going to get many more runs out as a starter up there. Um, he was on the field at the same time, of course, because he was one of the players who, he was the player who who held up the ball in order to get it forward for Rubio. But, um, you know, like Yapi has proven himself to be an adept hold up man and a dangerous threat in the box, but not so far to this point, a great finisher, whereas Rubio is our finisher par excellence. So that 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 was that's a really good thing, you know, to have your, you know, best player back on the field scoring a goal. Uh, to win the game in the late goings is fantastic. Um, I'll say one other thing, which is closing it out, right? Like it is not that easy to close it out on the road, um, especially in SKC, which is a hostile environment um, and a really wonderful one, by the way, I I've been to sporting for a match. It's, it's a, it's a phenomenal environment. The noise in there, the stadium, uh, it's just, it's a great, great place to see a game. Um, and that fan base is on you. You know, they are loud. They are aggressive. Um, it is 
it is they get behind their team. And so for the Rapids to score in the final 15 minutes and then hold on for another 10, 15 minutes of, of match, uh, really well done. They should be incredibly, incredibly proud of what they did. I heard the comments that Robin Frazier made to them in the locker room after the game. You know, the, the kind of standard Robin Frazier, I'm really proud of you boys. This is the kind of thing that, you know, we know we knew you were capable of to, up till now. Um, great stuff. Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, it's interesting, Rabbi, you bringing up those points about Darren Yappi as someone who is obviously not based in Denver, so you're not going out to training, so you maybe you don't see it. it your conclusions on Yappi are a little bit opposite of from what I heard in preseason, what I've seen in practice, and then gen- the general consensus I got from talking to various people for the Yappy piece that I put on burgundywave.com, which hopefully folks will be live in a couple weeks once the JSON file and the archives put up, but yeah, be patient, please. Um, the um, and, and the kind of conclusions were, Mark, is that his finishing had gotten a lot better in the offseason, and the thing that he needed to work on was hold up play. And every single time I've been out to training this season, he has put in a position where firstly the thing that he has to deal with is hold up play and the things that he's getting the most comments on the most coaching on you know uh Wilde Harris or Robin Frazier really riding him on is when he's trying to hold the ball finishing and in transition not so much so Mark maybe he's done a much better job in the month in the six weeks since to do better in that regard maybe the coaching staff is maybe relying on that because you know if you look at the rest of the front three mark from a starting standpoint you know max isn't a hold-up guy he's a midfielder playing in a no. wingerish attacking <laughs> forward wall um and then obviously jonathan lewis uh he could hold the ball up well against me maybe and then probably iggy i don't know how tall iggy is at this point mark but you know he's not he's not winning any balls in the air against uh you know six foot tall center backs for the most part so maybe the fact that Yappi is the tall guy in that regard, that's something that they're leaning on rather than from a finishing standpoint. But, you know, I'm I'm still waiting, Rabbi, for the Darren Yappi hype train to um, have full cohesion in terms of what the club thinks about him, what you see when he's not playing. I'm, I'm waiting for the Darren Yappi that I've heard about and I've seen in training to come to full fruition on the pitch over the course of 90 minutes and do so comprehensively in terms of the whole of his game. And while I've seen, I agree with you, I've seen better stuff from a run of play and from a hold up play standpoint. I have not seen that in terms of actually finishing in the box and he's pretty decent when I've seen him go up on that and do the various drills they have for finishers and for forwards in training. And again, maybe maybe we're just waiting for him to get that one and then he'll go off. And maybe this is the start of something great for Diego Rubio as well. Rabbi, I now want to transition to the other side of the pitch uh, to William Yarbrough, who made two fantastic saves. To your point, uh, Rabbi, the uh, both uh, the Rapids and Sporting Kansas City had two shots on goal in this game. SKC did have 18. So, Rabbi, you're one shot away from having as many shots as uh, William Yarbrough had to deal with different kinds of shots. And in getting his clean sheet, he got he's now has 29 clean sheets in MLS League play uh, in his time with the Colorado Rapids, tying Matt Pickens, MLS Cup champion Matt Pickens. Uh, with the most clean sheets in club history. And I thought Yarbrough has been fantastic, Mark. And he's stepped up. I don't think it's any coincidence that he had a fantastic performance. What was it, a couple weeks ago, once Marco Illich had signed with the team and his paperwork had been cleared. And I don't think it's any surprise as well. You know, I don't blame him a whole lot for the Gallagher goal. Uh, against Austin FC, but he has back-to-back clean sheets, back-to-back decent defensive performances from a goalkeeper standpoint. Um, and anytime I ask anyone at the club about him, while they do talk about what he does as a goalkeeper standpoint, they talk about what he's done from a leadership standpoint, and especially when you don't have Jack Price on the team as well. You know, that uh, from a defensive standpoint, organizationally and then leadership-wise, the goalkeeper can be extremely important. And I don't think it's any... I think it's extremely fitting that William Yarbrough has been the captain when Jack Price has been out this year and then going back to last year as well, Mark. And I think it's worth highlighting that he's one clean sheet away from having the most clean sheets in club history. He's been good as a leader. He's been good as a goalkeeper. And he has elevated himself since the signing of 
Marco Illich. He is making it a problem for the front office to, you know, argue that this was a good signing and a play that they were going to make for the long-term replacement as well. I'm not sure that I care in this moment right now, Rabbi, because ultimately the Rapids signed a goalkeeper and they got a better starting goalkeeper. It just so happened that maybe had to be William Yarbrough feeling disrespected and then thus elevating his game to new heights as well. And he has been fantastic. Two other good things that I want to bring up, Mark. I mentioned Max, you know, uh, a moment ago as well. I think he's been better in possession or we haven't seen him be, uh, we haven't seen the simple frustrating mistakes as repetitively as we saw last year as well. So I do believe that he's taken a step forward. He's better in possession. He's better in the ball. I think he's better as a cohesive unit, either in more of a advanced position or in that midfield three as well. He's gotten a good run couple of games now that I think has gotten him into better rhythm. I still haven't seen the product in the final third, but I could say that, Mark, about pretty much every single player right now, with the exception of Diego Rubio at this point. Um, And then uh, I I can't believe it's taken almost 25 minutes for us to bring this up, Rabbi, but uh, the new MLS Ramadan rule was in effect uh, this past weekend, and in the first natural stoppage of play after the 10th minute, Lal Sabubakar got to run over to the bench and break his fast, and they had a little bit of a break and everything, and I think this is extremely empathetic. It's extremely progressive. It is promoting player safety and the quality of the game for me, and to do so in MLS in a country that is had issues with Islamophobia and maybe a lack of an understanding of Muslim culture and the things that they do um, uh, in order to support their faith and everything. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I thought Lawless was great, Mark, in the first 10 minutes when he hadn't eaten anything all day. I thought he was great after he got to actually get, you know, some proper solid calories in his stomach as well. And he elevated himself in a crazy, physical, hostile environment. And he did so uh, without... uh, without Andreas Maxu as well, and uh, that deserves to be highlighted and praised for me. Mark, any other good things, or what bad things do you have? Um, well, the bad thing is is not that bad a thing, it's just a relative thing, which is that beating the worst team in M- MLS or the worst team in the Western Conference is not that impressive. Um, it, you know, yes, we were the worst team until we beat Sporting, but Sporting is winless through the beginning of the season, they have uh, three losses and three draws at this point. Um, and so, sorry, four losses and three draws. Um, and their draws are, this is kind of shocking, all nil-nil draws. Um, they have scored just two goals this season. So Sporting doesn't know how to find the back of the net with a flashlight, a feather, and a spoon. Um, they just can't get it done. So... Being able to beat a team like that, even on the road, is is not something we should be all that excited about. Matt was all excited about the turnarounds of specific players and the impressive performances by certain people and so on and so forth. And um, I love you, Matt, and I don't disagree with you, but I do think, you know, yes, but can you do it on a um, humid night in Houston, as they say, or more realistically, on a blazing hot day in um exposition park in los angeles you know it's it's just a lot harder to do it against the seattle's and the lafc's of the world so that being said um as was noted in a great piece in the la times by kevin baxter um the la galaxy should no longer be counted amongst the illuminati of the western conference they're now um a total hot garbage team that the rapids can now look down upon and say you know, feast upon uh, my wonders for thou art mortal. I don't know what that meant, Matt. But <laughs> anyways, like there are some teams now below us in the in the table and we should kind of rejoice and, and be merry about that. But, you know, we're looking at a table in the Western Conference of teams that we should be um, we should be able to beat. And we did beat, you know, um, and that's sporting Kansas City. Um, but the rest of the of the Western conference is, is pretty formidable and will be a tougher meal for us. So I think that that's one thing to note. Um, I think another thing to note is that our expected goals was not very good in this game. Um, we turned in, I think a 0.52 expected goals, according to the Opta foot mob um, data. And that's not good enough. And that means that to some degree, you know, Diego Rubio beasting a guy at midfield and then skating in on goal to score on his own um is 
the kind of fluky thing that you just can't count on. You know, I mean, as much as he did a great job in that situation, the referee deciding that that was a foul or um, another defender being back or Tim Melia coming out and making a really spectacular play. And we have just yet another Rapids nil-nil draw. So um, there weren't a lot of opportunities for this team other than that one great play by Diego Rubio. And, you know, for me, and this is, we, we, I, we talked about this in past years, Matt, but for me, if you don't produce a lot of chances, but you convert and you win, that's not a great feeling for me. It's an ominous feeling for me that the Rapids scored a goal in a one really good chance. But if they don't get many chances on goal week after week after week, you're relying on finishing or realistically luck to win games. And I don't want to win on luck. I want to win on math. And what that means is I want the Rapids to defeat opposing teams on expected goals every single week. I want them to produce more expected points every week. If you look at um, some of the advanced metrics, um, uh, American soccer analysis will have your expected points if you, if you want to geek out on that. But um, you know, I want I, when when we've gotten to the point mathematically where the sample size is large enough. I want to be three, four, five weeks from now. I want to look at the table and see the Rapids' expected points is you know at or higher than what their actual points are. I don't want us to be at or below what our expected points are, and because what that indicates is we've been lucky. Now, last year we were unlucky. We produced fewer points than um, the the math says we should have. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2020, when we had a fabulous year, the math said that we were lucky. Um, 2020. 2020. 2021, Mark. What, were we bad in 2020? No, 20, 2021 is when they won the Western Conference. No, but I'm thinking of 2020 when they, um, when they um, made it to the playoffs on... Um, points per game despite yes because having, of the because yeah, of the covid thing and not because of mls's games. back okay we're on the yeah, same yeah. page no, no my i was thinking of 2020 because that was a year where i don't think the team was very good but they still got to the playoffs and the the way they got to the playoffs was like by weird quirkiness as opposed to like actual good soccering right but you're right matt if you look at the math by the way you're matt's totally right in 2021 the math says we were better we were luckier than we should have been, and we were better than we should have been. Like we we weren't as good as as we were on on. We were better. Sorry, let me think about this. The Rapids we, were still a very good XG team, Mark. Um, and last year they were not as good of an XG team, but they still underperformed their XG and their X points. So to your last year they underperformed XG. The year before they overperformed XG. I would rather just perform. I would I would rather produce a lot of expected goals, um, uh, reduce the expected goals allowed and and win normally, because that's that's a predictable response. Right. Like if you are just an awesome defending, awesome offensive team and you and you finish at an average rate, that's more predictable and more respectable than getting lucky. Go ahead, Matt. So to your point, Mark, then technically, if you just wanted the Rapids to perform, they would have performed losing this game 0.8 goals to 0.5 goals, according to MLSsoccer.com. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you, Rabbi. This is still – this does not change the overarching – it's great that Diego Rubio got his first goal. It's great that he goes off the snide. Hopefully, this is the start of another fantastic season for him, and he can be a talisman and a great goal scorer and MLS all-star for the Rapids when it matters most. But this does not change how I feel about this team, which still they can do a lot of really good stuff between the boxes. Robin Frazier can set them up to regularly get into good positions to create chances from set pieces, from the run of play, in other ways as well. But fundamentally, when it gets to the final third, they don't create as numerous chances as their opponent. They don't create as good chances 
as their opponent. And then even when they do, they don't finish in that regard. And we continue to see, Mark, in games where they, they did not play particularly well. Uh, Robin Frazier admitted that, you know, there's a level of character building and confidence building when you play like that and still find a way to win a game. And as I mentioned, most important thing was just getting the first win. It does not matter that it was ugly for me. But Mark, we've still seen in games where in many ways, metrically, statistically, and from the eye test, you would argue the Rapids outplay the opponent. They narrowly get, they narrowly win the XG battle, but then they don't outshoot the opponent, or they don't, they don't convert all the good stuff between the boxes into good stuff between the, in the boxes. And so I still don't think there's still there's too much data out there that suggests that this group of players are not good finishers and even in games where they outperform their opponents and then convert that into winning the xg battle they will still not necessarily win most of those games and it still belies the point for me that outside of diego rubio i'm struggling to find where consistent chance creation and goal scoring is coming from maybe the one caveat there mark and maybe this is a bit of a maybe this is a, a statistical outlier you know the rapids have three goals this season they're all pretty much on hopeful and unlikely counterattacks involving basically two players and mark do you know the name of the player who's been involved in all three of them who's that Michael Barrios, who had that hopeful cross that went nowhere, and then it took so long to get to somebody that Cole Bassett was able to track it down, scoring the first goal for the team against Minnesota. Barrios had the primary and I believe the only assist to Kevin Cabral at Austin. And then while he did not touch the ball in the play that Diego Rubio scored on, he made the run and opened up the space, parting the seas for Diego Rubio to free our people, to free uh, Rapids fans who went to this game, Mark. And I thought that was fantastic. So the, um, so Barrios has been involved in all three of those. I don't know that, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he was he was not the primary involver in any of those. I'd say the one play where he had the most impact was against Austin. But I don't know, you, you send a hopeful cross that's 40 yards and then Cole Bassett takes it from there and does all the work and everything. I don't know that you get credit for like, you know, X goal chain or extensive, um, you know, chance creation in that regard. And similarly, it was a smart one by Michael Barrios, but Diego Rubio was the one who did all the work other than that run as well. So I still have concerns about the offense. I still have concerns about finishing outside of Rubio. They're going to need a option to score outside of Rubio. And it's still not obvious to me, Mark, who that is or when that player will arrive or if that player will arrive. On On that note, Rabbi, I still think it's extremely telling that Kevin Cabral is not a regular starter on this team. And in games where Frazier's setup is to have three attacking-focused positions – at positions that Kevin Cabral says he can play or he has played in the past in MLS. He's not only not a starter, he's not subbed into the game until the final 10-15 minutes, and he's the third sub as well. So I think it, the fact that it's Lewis, Barrios, or excuse me, Lewis, Rubio, and Max starting up top, and then it's been Barrios and Yapi who have either started or subbed in before Cabral has subbed in, in the majority of games, the season speaks to where he's at at the depth chart. And that's still with Brian Galvan uh, coming back from his groin injury as well, Mark. I, I'm increasingly – it was great that he scored against Austin. I'm increasingly doubting when the real Kevin Cabral will show up or at the very least who the real Kevin Cabral is. Um, I don't think it's worth a DP slot to have your sixth most important attacking player on – the team. Um, just two other nitpicky things, Mark. I thought the Rapids were a little bit sloppy in possession in this game. Ronan and Wilson with some rather egregious turnovers in not horrible. They took a not, they took a neutral position and turned it into a bad scrambly position. And those are normally two players who I would associate with being pretty comfortable and good on the ball, especially when they're not under duress. Um, hopefully that improves. Um, but, you know, maybe just two little outliers that I'm looking at. Maybe it was situational, but again, the, the Rapids found a way to adapt to difficult moments, whether they were, um, whether they put themselves in that position or SKC did good things with the ball. Uh, any big things, Mark? Uh, just want to reiterate the sloppiness. Uh, also, Kevin Cabral had a had a wide open play where he, 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 uh, wound up with the ball, broke midfield, had a wide open. I think it was Barrios on the left and only like two defenders to deal with. And he just flicked the ball over the top past the defender to nobody, like into like nowhere's land. It was just a really bizarre 
someone on Twitter said it was like you hit the wrong button on FIFA, you know, like you 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 flick the you flick the 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 left um stick in the wrong direction while you made the pass. It was so that that was one of those things with Kevin Cabral where you're like like what is this guy doing, man? Anyways, um big thing we we won a game. Uh the luck is turning around. This team has played two really great matches in a row, the LASC draw before that. Um and they should feel like their luck is turning around and they should they should feel the big mo momentum going in their way as they go into their next match. And that's something exciting. How about you, Matt? Uh, to my point earlier about Cabral and what it says about his playing time and his position, Mark, you know, I, I've seen a lot of Rapids fans chatter about Sam Nicholson being played at the left wing back position and his flaws there. And he's not really a defensive player and is he a liability and everything. I think the fact that he continues to start in those positions over Alex Gershbach, similar to Cabral, not getting as many minutes as other attackers, I think speaks to where the coaching staff is evaluating that position, what's need from it, and what Nicholson is bringing, and maybe what more Alex Gershbach needs to bring in training as well. And I think Sam's been decent, Mark. You know, he's done. A, he's been a live wire in transition in terms of trying to get open and everything. Uh, he is a flawed player. He is a player who I think has a very well understood ceiling in Major League Soccer right now. But similar to where I thought, you know, Max was a bright spot on the left. Certainly, I thought Sam Nicholson independently was as well. Um, I do still have concerns about him making a, a defensive mistake that potentially is going to cost the team. Um, but he, he's certainly been better than Alex Gershbach was in uh, against Seattle Sounders as well. And we've also seen uh, with players coming internationally, sometimes it takes them a few months to get used to what Robin Frazier specifically wants, or at least for those players to uh, to perform at a level that shows their understanding that then earns the trust of the coaching staff. And maybe that's going on right now. And in the meantime, um, you know, Sam Nicholson's going to be his happy-go-lucky, um, you know, absolute gamer, a little bit feisty at times. And I'm here for it as long as he doesn't uh, miss it when fullbacks overlap and go in transition with Danny Wilson out of position. And then uh, my other big thing to your point, Mark, about getting a win, three straight performances where I think the team made incremental improvements, took large steps from a couple weeks ago on both sides of the ball. This is a win. This is a result that Robin Frazier, you know, narrative or reality can spin into building this on the team. And I do think they have a game that they can viably win this weekend, Mark. And this could be the start of a good run of form or at the very least the Rapids stabilizing in terms of who they are in MLS and their consistency from results being shown in those performances. Last big thing that I want to get to, Mark, is regarding the one big thing from this game that we did not talk about, Andreas Makshu uh, being injured and coming out of this game. But before we get to that, Rabbi, tell our listeners how they can best support the independent coverage of the Colorado Rapids here at HTHL. Folks, we are supported by you, our loyal listeners to this year's podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids. Holding the High Line is a reader-supported publication. We do this out of love, but web- website hosting and buying gas to go to training ain't free. If you value what we do, consider becoming a paid sub- subscriber at just $42 a year or $5 a month. It's the price of a Frappuccino or some other things like uh, Scran at a Colorado Rapids match, which may or may not be as good as listening to this here podcast. Although, possibly this podcast would be more filling. Anyhow, you can afford it. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year, a beer mug or stein, design pending, and some behind-the-paywall articles. You'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt. So, Mark, in the 38th minute, Andreas Makshu goes up for a header, gets challenged by SKC center back Romero. Um, they appear to clang heads in the middle of the air, and then they fall to the ground. Both players down, clearly in some pain. Romero gets up, I don't know, 30 seconds later, uh, a minute maybe later, Rapids players going over to Andreas immediately signal for people from the bench to come over as well. As we saw, Mark, on the broadcast, because they chose to show it, which I have to agree with Brendan Plone on this one, I think was ill-advised. Um, you know, we... We should have learned, Mark, from watching the broadcast totally fumble it with Christian Eriksen and showing everything in a way that I think was shocking and maybe disrespectful towards the player and the circumstances. They could have shown other things. They could have shown a replay of something else. Um, you know, maybe the broadcast team could have done 
something more with that moment. But uh, we did get kind of a full timeline here, Mark, of what happened as Andreas was receiving treatment. He appeared, I don't like speculating, Mark, he was not moving for a solid minute or two. So there's a possibility that he was knocked out. And then pretty clearly, Mark, you could see the various training staffs testing to see what range of motion he had within his limbs. Pretty easy to say, um, listeners, that he had full that he had range of motion in all four of his limbs from what I was able to see. Eventually, a couple minutes later, he's able to sit up, albeit a little bit assisted in that regard. Not a whole lot of motion, uh, range of motion shown mark from the neck area. Whether or not that was the training staff testing it or specifically asking him not to do so, I'm not sure. Eventually, he lays back down. The stretcher comes over and gets him, and he is stretchered off, and Stephen Badisher subs into the game with Keegan Rosenberry moving inside at the center back position. We don't yet have an update, Mark. Um, we've reached out to the club uh, requesting an update. I hopefully will be at training later this week, Rabbi, so I might have an update. If if nothing else, I'll be able to say whether or not Max Shu is there and participating in team activities. So we cannot confirm whether or not Andreas is in concussion protocol. But if I just pull up the quotes, Mark, from uh, the evening press conference from Robin Frazier, I think they're at least somewhat um, encouraging. Uh, Robin said, you know, saw him after the game. He said that he's doing okay, had some pain where he had contact. And then he closed out the statement saying, other than that, he feels pretty good. Hopefully this won't be too long. We're happy to see that he's okay. Mark, the simple fact that he underwent testing in the uh, at the stadium at Children's Mercy Park and was not immediately taken to the hospital, I think immediately is a good sign at the very least it's not a catastrophic injury or anything like that is positive. But, um, you know, Mark, what could a few weeks or more of no Andreas Maxu mean for the Colorado Rapids and positionally and personnel wise, how would Robin Frazier handle that? Well, there's not a lot of depth. We know that. Um, we've got some issues at both fullback positions. You know, there's not much depth behind Keegan Rosenberry on the right side beyond Stephen Betashore. On the left side, the team is still trying to figure out, you know, the beginning of the season, they were trying to go with Alex Gershbach. Um, they've slotted in um, Markanic, and they've also used, of course, um, Sam Nicholson, who's really, you know, kind of been used in the more advanced uh position he 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 functions um really as a wide midfielder um who when pressed can drop into the back line but overwhelmingly it looks a little bit more in defense like it's a 4-3-3 and in attack like it's a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 to be more appropriate um but anyways, um, you know, Maxo's been, uh, other than a shaky first or second game, he's probably been the most stalwart defender on the back line. Um, so losing him is probably not a good thing. Um, the fact that we don't have Moise Bombito uh, to kind of run out there as another option, the fact that they had to pull Michael Edwards from Rapids 2, um, up to the senior team after Bombito went down and then he's been kind of firmly ensconced on the bench means that we just don't have a ton of options there. Um, like, you know, we can put Beta Short right back, move Keegan Rosenberry into the back line and we'll be fine. But when we get to that point where the fullbacks are tired and we want to hold on to a lead in the 75th minute and make a sub, there are just not a lot of options when you don't have the depth of having a beta shore to roll out there. Um, so that's not great. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I, I am going to speculate, you know, just because I did watch that replay and the scary thing about that replay, the scary thing about that injury was he got conked in the back of the head, which is kind of known as a fairly dangerous spot to get struck in the head um, mid air. And he he hit the ground in such a way that he didn't look conscious when he hit the ground because his neck didn't support the way his head whipped back and hit the hit the pitch really hard. So one of those things with concussions in soccer, having done the concussion training um, as a coach, is you're you're worried about head to head contact or head to knee contact, but um, head to ground contact without any um, support is is really really dangerous and and really. You know, those kinds of hits can be um, really that that can be the primary cause of a concussion more so than a head to head 
hit in midair. So um, we wish him well. We hope he gets better. Um, we hope that there aren't serious long-term lingering effects. I mean, I think the the most encouraging thing when he got set up um, as they were getting ready to take him off was that they asked him to move both his feet and he wiggled both of his feet. And that was, you know, if you're independently wiggling both your feet upon command, you're already showing that you're you're doing a certain degree of okay. And that, that that's, that's, it's scary to say that because, um, you know, we, we, you, you shouldn't have to worry, shouldn't have an injury on the field that that's, that that's that worrisome that you're like, Hey, wig, you wiggled your toe. That's great to quote the princess bride. Um, but, uh, but, but we're glad. And, and that's a good sign. And, and hopefully Max. So is, is out of the lineup for, a week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, and then he's back healthy, you know, and, and ready to go. Mark, I think your suggestion that, you know, Robin Frazier's just going to ride, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Betasher because he got that dog in him and trust Keegan Rosenberry to play slightly out of position, but a position that increasingly we've seen Frazier put Rosenberry in and trust him in. I think that's the most likely scenario for this. Um, I, I continue. I, I'm increasingly concerned, Mark, with playing three center backs and then rotating some of it. And, you know, Danny Wilson, you know, not starting um, the first couple games of the season and then him coming in as well. The Rapids don't have the, the next group of center backs all have some talent, some skill some upside, but they don't have a whole lot of MLS experience. You know, to your point, it's Moise Bombito, who's, you know, was listed as out for this game with the MCL injury that I think is going back a month now. And the, I think the initial timeline that Brendan Plone had reported was um, was not as long as it has been. Um, I do have one fact check for you, Mark. You said Mark uh, Mike Edwards was brought up from Rapids 2. He was on loan at San Antonio FC. That's right in the USL championship and that he was brought back probably the shortest non rapids to R2 or rapids to switchbacks loan in club history. So he gets brought back for that, but still he hasn't gotten any minutes and Abubakar Keita is back in training. But Mark, the fact that Keita was not on the bench and Edwards was on the bench, even though Keita was not sent out on loan, I think is interesting and maybe the jockeying that's going on in inner squad scrimmages for, you know, who's moving up or down the depth chart, but I mean, you know, the, the fact that Frazier hasn't given even like a start or a run out to any one of these center backs, despite what I see in training is they're all good and they've got upside and they're competitive. And as much as they've said as well, maybe shows that just he's not ready to trust them yet with a starting opportunity or just that he trusts Keegan Rosenberry slightly out of position a little bit more. Um, and maybe this Max Shoe injury is, you know, going to be a test for one of those guys to take an opportunity for Robin Frazier to give an opportunity to one of those players, or at least him have to come up with a solution that is not Keegan Rosenberry out of position. Because as you said, Mark, then if you're starting beta shirt and you're starting Sam Nicholson, you're relying on, you're lying on, you know, at that point, Mark, I'm not sure there's a your next right back on on the field if you're not moving somebody who's a starter to that position is Sebastian Anderson on the right, and then you've got Anthony Markanich and Alex Gersh back on the left. So at, at some point, you can say, oh, it's so important that we have a center back that we trust defensively, that we trust on the ball at some point. I don't know that that's worth, Mark, you know, starting Marco Illich at right back or, you know, because you don't have any other options right now. So it's an interesting question, and we'll see what Robin Frazier comes up with it. And who knows, Mark, maybe listeners, by the time you're hearing this, you know, me or somebody else has reported that Max Shu is back in with training and at worst going to be questionable for this weekend. And maybe it doesn't matter because, you know, the Big Dane's going to be awesome and absolutely crush it in Charlotte. Um, one thing that I did not have in the rundown that I don't know how I forgot about it, Mark, the Colorado Rapids know who their first Open Cup opponent is going to be. The Rapids will be playing on Wednesday, April 26th, just a couple weeks from now. It'll be a 7 p.m. game. That game was previously going to be a little bit earlier in the day. And I think, Mark, might have been a typo by the people over at the U.S. Open Cup. And they will be taking on second-year USL League One team Northern Colorado Hailstorm, who marked for the second straight year, went down to Widener Field in Colorado Springs and got a win in extra time against the switchbacks. Westminster, Colorado native Trevor Amon with the first goal to start the uh, comeback in that game, Mark. And I don't know if you saw the photos that I posted on Twitter after that. Had the game started 30 minutes later, we would have had extra time Snow Classico, which would have been fantastic and crazy. 
and also probably made my drive a little bit more annoying coming back, uh, you know, from being down in the Springs. Uh, Mark, I know you're not watching a whole lot of Hailstorm. I've been out to see them. Uh, you know, we featured them a little bit on a pod during preseason last year as well. What do we make of this Open Cup opportunity? And Mark, given what Northern Colorado Hailstorm did to Real Salt Lake, I mean, we're, we just have to assume at this point that the Rapids are getting rail hocked, right? Uh, yeah, the... The odds that the Rapids progress are 50-50. I mean, and considering they're two divisions above uh, Northern Colorado, that's not great. But that's that's the reality with the Rapids. Their history is just woeful when it comes to playing uh, Open Cup teams. Uh, they have not won an Open Cup match in four years. They have um, not won consecutive matches in open cup play in 17 attempts, right? That's a long way back. So um, even if the Rapids beat Colorado, uh, not, not Colorado Springs, Northern Colorado, um, that second game, there's there's very little history of them progressing. They'd be, they'd be making a major accomplishment as a team by winning two games in an open cup. That's a crazy thing to ponder. So as much as I don't, you know, I, 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 I like to lay a, 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 a prediction here. My prediction is probably going to be that they get past Northern Colorado hailstorm. Um, but whoever they face in the second round, they're unlikely to, to progress beyond. So uh, I do not get my hopes up about the U S open cup, even though to be honest, Matt, it is a trophy that I, covet more than any other right now for our rapids i think it's like six to five and pick them as to whether i want that one more or supporter shield i mean it is absolutely the open cup would be such a a proud accomplishment i would be so amped to do it if we if we went to the u.s open cup final i i will promise here right now on the podcast i will fly out to that match for sure no doubt uh, Mark, I'll take MLS Cup over Open Cup or Supporter Shield. Personally. Well, you're weird like that. That's just how you get down. You have kinks. I can't. I can't speak to those, Matt. Uh, we'll do a proper preview when it comes to the week of folks, given, um, you know, the fact that I've covered the team and I've got some knowledge and familiarity around them. We'll do that properly so that, um, you know, Rapids fans who have not paid too much attention to the noisy, slightly northern neighbors and everything, uh, you know, can get properly educated and updated. They've got some fun players. Uh, they come to play. They took it to switchbacks in the first half of that game, Mark, and Amon Zayed is, uh, is an absolute delight from a media standpoint, mostly because I think Hale Storm are such a small team that they don't do proper media training. So he just says what he thinks and it's crazy and it makes sense and it makes for good zingers and good media stuff. So um, it, that's fantastic. Listeners, this coming Saturday, April... 15th, the Colorado Rapids will be heading to Charlotte, North Carolina to take on Charlotte FC. The Rapids are have moved themselves up to 11th in the MLS Western Conference. Woo! They have six points off of 16. They have six points off of seven games played. One win, three losses, and three ties. Still a negative goal difference of five. And away from DSG this season, they are one, two, and one. Mark, it only took the Rapids like three or four games to get their first away win of the season as opposed to into August last year, and I'm here for it. Uh, they'll be taking on Charlotte FC, who are 14th in the Eastern Conference, second to last, folks. Five points off of seven games played, one win, four losses, and two ties. Mark, it should be said that one win was a 2-1 victory over Orlando City, who are coming off of midweek Champions League play, so maybe take that win with a grain of salt. Negative 7 goal difference for the Carolina Blues, and at home this season, they are 0-2-1. Mark, I look at Charlotte, and honestly, I'm a little bit befuddled by them. Uh, coaching staff was making some really interesting tactical decisions about where certain players were playing that, honestly, I did not fully understand. Brent Bronico was being played and a fullback as a fullback for the first couple games this season. He moved back into midfield this past weekend against Real Salt Lake uh, alongside Ben Bender and Vargas, which made a lot more sense. At times, they had Harrison Awful cutting inside, who Mark is an oldie but a goodie at the left back position in MLS. They brought in Bill Tuiloma from, um, uh, from Portland Timbers as a center back signing, basically because they didn't have anybody else, and that's a position of weakness for me alongside Mulata as well. Their big acquisition they had was uh, Enzo Petty, uh, number nine 
uh, playing up top. And Mark, that's an interesting decision given how good Carol Swindersky was, albeit somewhat in a two-striker setup, and that's for Swindersky in the midfield role where he doesn't do a whole lot of work uh, defensively or out to a wide position, which isn't his natural position as well. So um, Mark, this was a good team last year. This was a well-built team. This was a good enough built team by expansion team standards. Uh, they made a couple good season signings in the offseason. I still don't think they had a particularly good MLS super MLS super draft, excuse me, MLS expansion draft, and they mostly got some good, you know, effective DPs who are effective in their first year in MLS right now. And I honestly think the front office is kind of bottled building on that from their second year in terms of players that they brought in and style of fit and everything. The fact that you had Swindersky, who is such a good player as a you know as a central forward, and then you go on and bring another DP forward in a four three three system that inherently moves Swindersky out of that position. Mark, I'm, I'm waiting for Jan Moss, the uh, center back for uh, AFC Richmond, to say the quiet part out loud, which is, you know, we're poorly built. It's not that, oh, the false, uh, the two false nines work and like the tactic is sound and everything. You've got the wrong jigs- you've got the wrong puzzle pieces for the jigsaw right now. That being said, the lineup that they had this past weekend against RSL was the most normal one they had or just, what's our best 11? What's everybody's best position? Let's build it towards that. That was a step in the right direction. But, Mark, they go in at altitude. They come out, you know, with really weak energy. RSL desperate to get their first win and everything. And they score two goals in rather quick succession in the first half and kind of run away with the game in the second half as well. This is a team that desperately needs a win. This is a team that has not played with a whole lot of energy, Mark. This is a team that I think is ripe for the picking in a road game if Robin Frazier can make the right decisions personnel-wise and the team can come and bring the energy that they needed in the second half when they were under the gun in at Sporting Kansas City or in the second half uh, when it was crunch time against Austin FC. That being said, this is the kind of MLS game you would have, Mark, where they're just where Charlotte's just going to get ripped in during training on Monday and Tuesday, and they're going to come out, you know, like a bunch of uncaged gorillas on Saturday night in front of a raucous crowd in their big NFL stadium that they do a decent job um, uh, you know, filling, and they're just going to blow the doors off the Colorado Rapids. And it should be pointed out, Mark, that uh, Andre Shinyashiki so far this season, let me look up the stat, he was on the bench for this game, uh, the game against RSL, which Charlotte lost 3-1, to one, Mark. Um, but so far, uh, just two starts and five games played and just 191 minutes for Andre Shinyashiki. So that, Mark, is grounds alone to fire all the coaches and fire the entire front office as far as I'm concerned. Rabbi, your thoughts? Yeah, I I mean it's interesting they they have they have uh Swiderski uh who they brought back from last year added two more forwards to that mix who you mentioned Capetti out of Argentina um and Camille Joswiak out of Poland. So they're starting two Polish wingers, um neither of whom anybody really had ever heard of before this year. Uh so it's this kind of like Let's make some moves from players from foreign leagues who might work out, but we don't really know. Good luck with that kind of thing with Charlotte. I think the midfield is the biggest worry there. Brant Bronico is probably an undervalued asset in MLS when he was acquired from Chicago Fire. I really liked him with Chicago. I think he's done yeoman's work, but um, he is a hard-nosed, hardworking two-way number eight. Um, he's basically, um, uh, basically what you would get with the Rapids when they had peak Nick LaBrocca, if you can go back far enough. And I loved Nick LaBrocca, by the way, but Nick LaBrocca had limitations, shall we say. And that's what I think Brant Bronico is. He's he's not going to, you know, he's not Isco. He, he's not, he's not, um, he, he, he's not, uh, oh, who am I thinking of? Um, you know, like a, a world-beating dominant uh, midfielder. And so he's he's just not, um, necessarily going to carry you forward. The other guys they've got are Ben Bender and this new kid Vargas, um, Kerwin Vargas, who uh, comes out of Firenze in the Portuguese league, who I'd never heard of before. You know, there's a lot of that. There, there are a number of players they picked up who were um, castoffs from other MLS teams who were past their prime. That's Aful um, and Bill Tuiloma. Um, they got Jalen Lindsay off of um, Sporting Kansas City at right back. He's been doing a nice job there. But this is a team full of basically 
players that other people didn't want. There's not a, a single... Swiderski is the only guy on this team that Charlotte like went out and got because he was really good and the scouting was really good and everyone was really excited about that. Everybody else on this lineup was, including Andre Shinyashiki, was basically something that somebody else didn't really want or need. Um, you know, I, I think. I mean, Vargas, because because of where he comes from, he might have been a guy that they thought, well, he's just being underused in the Portuguese, you know, uh, uh, league and, and, and he can do more things in MLS. He's ready for a step up. He's ready for his glow up. But I just don't, you know, I don't buy this team. Um, and so far, the stats agree with me being in that they're in 14th place in the Eastern Conference. So um, and th- and this is, by the way, a, a week a week Eastern Conference. I mean, they sit below Miami and D.C. United and just above Montreal, a Montreal team who lost like three or four key players and acquired nobody. And everybody looked at them and like they're chum. They're absolutely toast. I don't think anybody thought Charlotte was going to be this bad. I thought people thought that they were going to sit mid table and other teams in in the conference like Chicago and Toronto were going to be more of a hot mess than they are. But right now, Charlotte is, uh, you know, uh, in competition for the wooden spoon. So they need this game. They might come in hungry. This this is going to be um, a tough match for the Colorado Rapids. Yeah, no. So to, so to your point, Mark, you know, commenting on the positions and everything. And so Capetti was brought in. I pretty this has to be a, a club record transfer fee for six million dollars, Mark. And they brought him in at the position that Carol Swindersky was playing in with Swindersky coming off of 10 goals and six assists again for an expansion team, again for a forward who is in his first year in MLS and again from a team who opened the season with their head coach saying like we're completely screwed in Spanish but using a different word as well that is how they started how they finished and the response to oh we have a guy who scores 10 goals and six assists let's spend six million dollars on a guy who plays the same position you compare that to Mark the Rapids who obviously have much less money to spend than Charlotte FC on that one thinking let's go get a guy who would fit in next to Diego Rubio and they could make each other better that's what the Rapids were trying to do with Diego Rubio and with Kevin Cabral that's what I think Diego Rubio is doing for Darren Yapi. Enzo Capetti playing in Carol Swinderski's position is making Carol Swinderski a less effective player, and he was the most important player on expansion team that made the playoffs. So um, I want to believe the Rapids get a win in this one, Mark, but I have to think, given the circumstances, maybe the way Charlotte responds and everything, I think the Rapids initially try and go for it, but then settle for a draw in this one, and I think it's probably a result that You know, in hindsight, similar to Austin, similar to LAFC, similar to even the Seattle game, not necessarily the goal difference, but certainly the result itself. Rapids fans, in hindsight, can probably be happy with. I will go with a 1-1 in this one, and I think Diego Rubio scores again. I think the Rapids lose this one. I think they lose 2 to nothing. This is just a road match where, even though I said nasty things about uh, Charlotte, they're they have pieces. They should be able to put them together. I don't think they're going to wind up being very good. Uh, but this is, you know, this is just a game where the Rapids have flown close to the sun the last couple of weeks with expected goals, and they can't continue to just hope that Diego Rubio converts everything that goes his way. So 2-0 to Charlotte. No goals for the Rapids. And I would not be shocked, Mark. You know, we've seen, um, you know, Andre Shinyashiki has been a sub the last two games as well, so I wouldn't be shocked if we see him be a relatively early sub in the second half and really bring his A game, given he's playing against his former team, who he would not have played against yet, Mark, because last year when the Rapids played Charlotte, the Andre Shinyashiki trade off the top of my head had not yet happened as well. So this will be the first time that Andre Shinyashiki is going up against um against the Burgundy is blue, and I would not be shocked if he comes in bringing the sauce and does everything he possibly can to try and get a result for the Carolina blue against the Burgundy and blue. Anything else, Mark, or shall we get out of here? Get out of here. Tell them all about our socials and our writing platforms, Matt. Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi LWS Matt Pollard and 
at Rapids 96 Podcast. Check out all of our Rapids writing at the Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com and burgundywave.com or temporarily right now, um, Burgundy Wave's Patreon page. But uh, B-Dub will be back hopefully this week at time of recording next week, the uh, day of the St. Louis City game at the absolute latest, I promise you. Listeners, um, send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends about us. And if you want to get in touch in long form, rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, we'll see you next week. Peace.